The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for the internet. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am that thing. And everybody calls me also that thing. When, people, um, when someone says, hey, Bibbs, we both turn around. That's weird. And we say in unison, did someone say my name? And then we look at each other and in unison say, hey. And then we shake hands and then we create like a paradox in the universe and we get sucked into a vortex. (laughs) No, no, shoot him. He's the imposter. Then kill us both, Spock. That's Um, one of my favorite lines of dialogue from anything anywhere. It's one of the greatest. Shoot him. He's the imposter. (laughs) (laughs) It works in any situation. Yeah, yeah. Just like, uh, excuse me, would you like fries with that? Don't shoot him! (laughs) This week on mm. Cancelled Too Soon, we had to change our plans. At the end of last week's episode, mm. we announced that we were going to be reviewing a show called Richie Brockleman, Private Eye. Mm. Uh, which it's a, it's a spinoff from the Rockford Files. Yeah, and uh, we were really excited about it. It's something we've been wanting to do for a while. And we have a special guest who is an extremely big expert on the Rockford Files. Like, everything you could ever want to know about the Rockford Files, he's got those files. At at the very least, he's the biggest Rockford fan I've ever encountered. Right. So, we promised we'd do it with him, and we were gonna bring him on board, and then... Sure enough, the week we were going to do Richie Brockman, it turns out that's the week he's not available. So we had to put that aside <laughs> well, for a other, few other, weeks. He, he does have a day job, and his day job just sort of spun out of control. So yeah, we had to put it off. It was just bad timing. Mm-hmm. We'll get to Richie Brockman pretty soon. In the meantime, we had to figure out what else we were going to do, and we decided to go into our uh, enormous cachet mm-hmm. of listener donations. We have an Amazon wish list. Uh, and a lot of people have sent us in stuff uh, over the first couple of years of the show. Uh, we really want to give a special thank you to everybody who's donated from the Amazon wish list. Some of you have donated stuff and didn't put your name down, so we don't know exactly who they came from. Uh, I also discovered, much to my chagrin, that we did review uh, a donated disc, and I had misplaced my paperwork telling me who gave us what. Mm. So I just want to give uh, a, a very special thank you uh, to Canadian Keith. Uh, for donating uh, some of our uh, robot cop shows. Uh, y- <laughs> oh yeah, back in the day, you you that was a valuable service. Yes, Kenny um, and Keith. So thank you very very much, and I apologize uh, for all of that. That mm. was a that was a huge oversight, and I want to make sure we give a very special thank you today mm. to where is it? I wrote it there, down. There's that note uh, to Cody. Hey, Cody. Uh, hi, William. Took a while uh, to find this fun show. Thought it would be cool for Cancel Too Soon. Enjoy your gift. Uh, Cody, thank you very, very much. I am very excited that we finally get to talk about this program. Uh, it's a show that I saw when it was on television, and it was on so briefly, <laughs> and I just sort of found it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like seek it out. I just happened to catch a couple episodes here and there. 
that for many years I thought it was the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. They are contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Briscoe County was on like a year before this. A year before, and this was on, yeah, like right after R- Briscoe County left the air, this show took over, and you would be forgiven for kind of mixing them up. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of similarities. Like They're a- both his- uh, historical Western episodic adventure shows with a charming CAD hero. And, and they and both a science fiction element. Yeah, they yeah. both have a lot of steampunk in them, and we have a kitten who is full of beans. <laughs> You can probably hear him. He's playing right now. Excuse me, I'm going to go punt the cat. <laughs> the cat is playing with a very loud uh, plastic toy right now. Where our new cat, Luca, is uh, 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 adorable. And mischievous. And a little annoying, aren't mm. you? Mm. <laughs> anyway, back, back to the subject at hand. Back to the subject at hand. I, I'm really, really excited. We get to talk to about one of the first shows ever to air on the UPN network, the failingest network on television history. <laughs> Ten years and negative eight hundred million dollars later. Yep, UPN folds. Uh, but it is, in my experience, one of the best shows they ever had that mm. didn't have Star Trek in the title. So let's uh, uh, talk a little bit about Richard Dean Anderson in Legend. Richard Dean and Action. Richard Dean and Gadgets. Richard Dean and Gunfights, Bar Brawls, Bank Robbers, Daring Rescues. Richard Dean and Person. Beautiful. Is in big trouble. Because this town needed a hero. It's okay now, little lady. And they got him instead. Always a pleasure to meet a fan. Legend. A special movie presentation. UPN Wednesday. Richard Dean and Urson. <laughs> so stupid. Whoever came up with that ad deserves a medal. <laughs> deserves a medal. Not not for the ad. The ad is stupid. For convincing a lot of people that that was a good that, that, ad. That was good copy. That though, people right? who were watching um, UPN would just go, you know what? Well done. Well done. I'll see that. Um, I believe Legend aired opposite. Um, it was something else I was watching at the time. Like, hey, I think, opposite I think the Frasier and News Radio right. uh, and Home Improvement. It was the lead-in to Marker. Yeah. Which I think starred Richard Grieco? Richard Grieco was Marker. Yeah, and he I, had and a whole the, bunch of markers. And so, he drew things. I, I don't remember the exact premise of Marker, but the markers were like little tiny glass well, gems with roses printed on them. It's actually There's actually a plot point in a future episode of Legend about Markers, and basically it's just you owe someone a mm. debt. And they in, give you like a little the, chit, essentially. But it's in the yeah. criminal underworld, and it's like the one thing, you, as a criminal, you can't do. It's like, there's, this is the rule. You mm. have a marker, and someone calls in your marker, you have to pay it. It's that like, it's like in them, John Wick. Yeah. yeah, so you owe them a favor, you owe them money, you owe them something. And the idea is that Richard Grieco has a ton of markers he's cashing in. Mm. Or, therapy, or that are being cashed in against him or something. Something. I'm hazy on it. Someday we'll track it down. Believe me, I've been looking. Uh, Legend premiered on UPN on April 18th, 1995, and aired through August 22nd, 1995. Um, It got pretty good reviews and didn't do too bad in the ratings, uh, but it was early in the network, and pretty much everything they had started with that wasn't Star Trek Mm. was annihilated after the first year UPN was on the air. More or less. I think... With the exception of maybe two or three, I think we could do every single UPN show on Council Too Soon. Just about. Um, 
Yeah, it was a, a steampunk cowboy show, and it starred Richard Dean Anderson mm. from uh, MacGyver, and who, after Legend didn't take off, would then go on to do Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Richard Dean Anderson as a dime novel author who has created... Yeah, Ernest a, Pratt is his name. He has created a pulp hero named Nicodemus Legend, who, in addition to uh, being a goody two-shoes, doesn't drink, doesn't gamble, tells kids to stay in school, all that good stuff, also fights crime all throughout the front, uh, the American frontier using like scientific gadgets like a hang glider. Mm. S- stuff that's not quite invented yet. Exactly. Um, in the pilot episode, we find out that someone has impersonated Nicodemus Legend, and now there is a warrant out for his arrest. And he often makes public appearances as, as quote, Nicodemus, Nicodemus Legend to keep to convince people that the legend is kind of true. It's like when George Reeves dressed up as Superman; people just thought he was Superman. So he goes to the small town in Colorado just to clear everything up. Mm. But it turns out that he can't convince anyone that he's not Nicodemus Legend. And there he meets Jonas. Bartok, uh, played by the great John Delancey, who uh-huh. was Q on the Star Trek television series, mostly The Next Generation. Mm. Um, but, but also Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Yeah, and, but he was only in a couple episodes mm. of those. He was mostly yeah. on... People know him from The Next Generation. The, the only immortal being who aged. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> he goes great at the temples. Oh, I'm immortal. I'll just make myself look that way it's now. It's fun. Uh, Jonas Bartok is very closely mm-hmm. modeled after Nikola Tesla. Uh, so this is in the Tesla punk genre. Uh, he is he is a competitor of Thomas Edison. He's, Thomas Edison had him discredited. He's, he's from a similar era. He's not from. Uh, I guess he's from Europe. Te- he's from Te- Hungary in the Tesla show. Tesla was from Austria, but Austria is now Cro- Croatia today. And mm. yeah, he's Hungarian in the show, um, which is, becomes a plot point in one episode. But that's yeah. true. Uh, but yeah, basically he's incredibly ahead of his time. But Thomas Edison had him completely discredited. Uh, he even has like he. He even has a whole thing about alternating current, which was mm-hmm. what uh, Tesla was into as opposed to Edison, and it was a whole thing. So basically, Jonas Bartok has impersonated legend through use of really primitive holographic technology. <laughs> and has, Because, of course, holograms. And has redirected a river in order to favor Im- like poor immigrants in town over the rich landowner named Ms. Slaughter. <laughs> in case it wasn't subtle yeah. enough for you. <laughs> Uh, Nicodemus it could so, be like Skull Crusher or something. So our hero Ernest Pratt, he ends up having to impersonate Nicodemus Legend in order to save the day with the help of sci-fi technology. Basically, it's kind of like a good version of the 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage. More more focused, that's for sure. The the western setting definitely helps. There's this there's this small subgenre of mostly TV shows in which a coward or a reprobate or a con artist has to take on the persona of someone heroic and and, and in so doing becomes actually heroic. And it's a great way to have your cake and eat it too. You get to have the classical old fashioned mm. stalwart superhero. And you get to have the, the the flawed human being you can kind of relate to. For me, like I I, I I like this show a lot, but for me, my favorite example of this is the television series Remington Steel with Pierce Brosnan. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, where uh, God, who was who was the other lead in, in Remington Steel? Uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan played the face of the the super spy. Uh, yeah. So there was a uh, there was a was woman like, who Dean- wanted to be uh, a top-notch private detective, and indeed she was fantastic at it. It starred Stephanie Zimbalist. 
Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Stephanie Zimbalist wanted to be a private detective, but it was an incredibly sexist world, and no one wanted to hire her to do it, so she invented a fake male mm. detective who got all the credit, but she did all the work, and then, over the course of the pilot episode, a thief, played by Pierce Brosnan pretends to be Remington Steele over the course of one of his cons, and then he gets outed in public as Remington Steele, and now she's stuck with him. And they have to team up to become Remington Steele together. Really witty, well-written show. Like, I just like <laughs> Remington. It, I rewatched some of it recently. It holds up pretty good. Like, I'm surprised they haven't rebooted it. I actually haven't seen Remington Steele. I was a huge a fan. My, my family was a Remington Steele family in the 80s. We just loved that show. And, and, and again, it, it holds up well. My point is, the premise is solid. As mm. long as you get some, some charismatic actors and some good adventures, mm. you kind of can't lose with it. And Legend mm. really got that cast, because John Delancey is funny and charming and sweet in this show, which is kind of nice. And Richard Dean Anderson is the shit. (laughs) So he was MacGyver, and MacGyver was successful pretty much because of him. I mean, the the gadgets were really fun, but he sold that that sort of unflappable hero type. And A clever clever episode of MacGyver is uh, like a thing of beauty. Like, if you see, like, a really great episode of MacGyver, you're just like, wow, what a great show. uh, most episodes of MacGyver coast on Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> He's a really, really mm. intensely likable lead, leading actor. And as, as Ernest Pratt, of course, every scene with him is a joke because he has to play two characters at once. So mm-hmm. he goes into a bar itching for whiskey, but everybody knows he doesn't drink. Yeah, and in fact, Look at Neil's legend doesn't drink. doesn't drink. So he'll walk up to the bar and say, yes, I'd like a whiskey. And the bartender will, will sort of like... Is this a a test of some kind? It's like, no, I I want a whiskey. Oh, of course, this is a test of some kind. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm doing research. Uh, I have to figure out what being drunk is like for, yeah, research. So just give me some whiskey. (laughs) People people will uh, shun my bar if they see me giving whiskey to Nicodemus Legend. And he's just like, just put it in a... Put it in a coffee cup. We'll call it tea. Like, that's the gag throughout the whole series, is that he can never be seen publicly drinking, so his bartender has to sneak him booze in a teacup, Mm. and half the time, he'll sit down with the bad guy, and the bad guy will be drinking whiskey, and he's just drinking tea, and they... They they, assume he's drinking tea. But then he he drinks his whole tea in a single shot, and they always have a look like, huh? (laughs) That's not how you drink tea. Sir! And, And, of course, he's a womanizer. He and, is. And, and, he has, and boy, does he have a type. <laughs> Every single love interest in this show is like, is, is kind of like a, a doting widower, essentially. A lot of times, lot, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always like an, a, a mom type. Almost always. Almost. Yeah, I, I guess there, there's like one younger, like there's one later episode where he, uh, like he, he's he, de- run, he runs he, afoul of a young woman's father. Yeah. And, and he ends up dead and he's framed for the murder. But uh, yeah, for the most part... There's always, like, some young boy, hey, you're Nicodemus Legend, can you pose for a picture? He's like, oh, I don't want to have to do that. And then his mom will come sauntering up, and his reaction is always like, well, say, why don't we... And he always says, come back to my hotel. Like, he lays it on thick immediately. Yeah, he just, He's horrible. He, <laughs> he has care. no game whatsoever. He is, he is a, a celebrity, but he's a celebrity who doesn't have to work very hard. Yeah. There's a bunch of episodes begin with, like, some sepia-toned Nicodemus legend adventure where, like, he's 
flying after some bad guy in his hang glider, but now he's a sitting duck and the guy's just going to shoot him, mm. or he's being chased by a whole bunch of little people, bank robbers, and he's about <laughs> to jump off a, a building onto a horse. Mm. And there was always like this moment by the end where it's like the action should continue, but then he's just kind of like looks confused. And he's just like, should I jump on the horse? Should I? That would hurt my uh, my man bits. <laughs> uh, and then the scene just cuts out. I don't know how to finish the scene. Yeah, well, and, and well, that's that's the premise of the show. Um, uh, Ernest Pratt has writer's block. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do with any more Nicodemus Legend adventures. He's just been sort of coasting on good sales. There's uh, talk that his his sales are big in Europe, but he's mm-hmm. he can't he hasn't written a new book for a while. And the reason he teams up with Professor Bartok is for inspiration. Yeah, Bartok, he knows that Nicodemus Legend isn't real. Mm. But he also knows that Nicodemus Legend is real to a lot of his readers. And thanks to his engineering and scientific prowess, is going to have the means to create something like Nicodemus Legend in real life. And since Bartok is such a darn morally upright, righteous person, Mm -hmm. he says, we have to do this. This is our moral imperative. Because we can do good. He's essentially adopting the Spider-Man philosophy. Yeah. We have the power, now we're morally obliged to do so. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and, and Ernest Pratt is like, well, I'm not that guy, but you've convinced me. Well, and he's not a bad person. And when mm. he's face-to-face with something that he can, a problem with he can solve, he will do it. Yeah. It just when it gets really difficult, he tries to run away. Mm. And then Bartok tries to drag him mm. back in again. <laughs> um and that's the basic premise of the show. Every week, a new a new tragedy like a, or crime is committed. Usually, a bad guy just comes kind of like wafting through town, and he's up yeah. to up to no good. And yeah. something has legend to be has dealt to with. take care of it. Yeah, and uh, it will be dealt with from a combination of Bartok's machines, uh, Nicodemus Legends, legend, and possibly just the sly. Uh, um, Lothario, lies. Yeah. <laughs> the lies and Lothario cunning yeah. of Ernest Pratt. My, one of my favorite. Okay, this has a great pilot episode. The pilot well, episode is could be its own. It's just a movie, and, and, and it's it does, a pretty good one. It does play as a movie. Yeah, if if you gave this like really decent production values, it would have been a, a great feature film. Absolutely. Uh, but like, so he goes into town and he he wanders into this town and everything is crackling with electricity. Mm-hmm. Occasionally you hear a boom off in a distance and then all of a sudden everyone's like belt buckles have like one of those little painted on lightning surges mm. and someone's hair gets all staticky and he's just like, what's going on? Oh, it's just Bartok. He's making lightning again. <laughs> like that's just Tesla moved into town and we mm. just sort of accept that we're part of his experiments. In fact, the, the one like sort of there are two faces of the entire town. Yeah. Uh, one of them is one of the recurring characters. Oh, I forget the character. Skeeter. Skeeter. It's played by an actor named Jared Paul. Who we will eventually and, run into again. He's one of the co-stars of Action, starring oh, Jay okay. Moore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, he uh, he has like eraser head hair. His head, hair is like sticking up in every direction, and he kind of jokes about it every time someone sees him. I like this and character. That, that's, that's to let us know that there's always electricity in the air, although he's the only one with that hair. He's a character who mostly exists for people to talk to and give exposition, mm. but whenever he has a line in return, it's usually really funny. In the middle of this pilot, uh, the, the villains hire a gunman to, co- to come to town and kill Nicodemus Legend. Mm. I love the scene with the gunman. Oh, it's so great. Like, we'll how get to it how in a he deals with the gunman is great. It's perfect, and yeah. it's great writing. 
The gunman is played by the great Tim Thomerson. <laughs> Tim Thomerson, who I think we last saw with The Flash. He played The Flash's brother in the pilot episode mm-hmm. of that show. Um, he's great. He's Every time you see him in a movie, you're just like, oh, we're in good hands. And he comes in and he just looks at this kid and just says, hey, you know where Nicodemus legend is? And he just says, sure do. Well, you go find him and tell him death has come for him. First name? <laughs> <laughs> It's a funny line. It's a funny line. Death. Damn it! So death, death. Uh, <laughs> no, but the, yeah, he he says, you know, Nicodemus Legend, I'm going to gun you down. Nic- Nicodemus Legend, Ernest Pratt, comes into the bar where he's hanging out, and he's in character. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I hear you want to. I hear in his noble voice, I hear you want to murder me. He's like, yeah. well. I don't think that's a good idea. Well, I'm going to murder you anyway. Well, he talks to Bartok, and Bartok just says, what you have going for you is the legend Mm. of Nicodemus' legend. You can intimidate him with your celebrity and the many stories of the people you've killed. Mm. And then he goes into the bar, and it turns out Tim Thomerson has never read them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So he's on an even keel. And over the course of the conversation, what he realizes is Tim Thomerson has led a life not unlike Nicodemus' legend. He's done a lot of cool stuff. And at some point, he just asks, well... Okay, well, I'm sure your agent is booking you a lot of appearances for all this crazy gunplay. He's like, I I don't have an agent. Really? That's a shame. I know an agent. (laughs) So he solves the problem as Ernest Pratt. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah, so he basically gets the bad guy, an agent and a publicist, and just, we're going to sell your books, but you can't kill me because I'm your in. (laughs) It's a great scene. It's great. It's great. It's really, really clever. Um, Yeah, Richard Dean Anderson, he, MacGyver is a is a fun character, but he's kind of a stick in the mud. You ever mm. watch MacGyver? It's it's very um he's very asexual a lot of the time. Like you'll see him kiss someone, but he's not a Lothario. He's not he doesn't drink a lot. He's a very capable hero type, kind yeah. of kind of a Mark Trail kind of hero, you know, <laughs> just a goody two shoes kind of guy. And that's his charm, and that's that works for mm. him. Seeing Richard Dean Anderson as Nicodemus Legend chewing the dialogue. He's savoring every time he gets to just be a jerk. Mm. Like, I would never disturb livestock. <laughs> like, that's the thing of all... You just ran through a list of things like public drunkenness and starting fights and sleeping with married women and disturbing livestock. I would never <laughs> disturb, disturb livestock. <laughs> Who do you think I am? He's great. What was the line you quoted me? You sent oh, me a golly. text. I, I said, let me look up the text. Um, you just there's mm. one episode where he runs into someone who calls mm. legend like a, a, a something something unfavorable. It, it, it was um, oh golly, uh, it, it was oh he used like a really common word. Yeah, it's like you you are like you are a hack writer. It's like hack. Well, aren't we the discoverer of fresh adjectives? <laughs> Because he's a writer, and he's, yeah. a, he's offended by the uncreative wording that the villain had used. So over the course of the pilot, they end up... It, it's actually not unlike the plot of the rather underrated Western comedy Rustler's Rhapsody, starring Tom Berenger. Yeah. Uh, the premise of that one is all of the white hat cowboy shows or cowboy uh, serials mm. and movies from the 30s and 40s and 50s were basically the same thing over and over again. And the gag was, well, they stopped making them. What if they had never stopped? What if this guy has been trapped in this same story thousands of times, and he, this time he's bored with it? And that's Tom Berenger. And he's just like, okay, guys, I know how look, where you're, look, look where you're standing. You got me in a circle. I'm going to duck, and you're all going to shoot each other. It's pretty bad. If you all moved over here, we could... You just want to... All right. 
bang. They're all Told you. Like, it's really high concept, but it's really, really funny. Um, so the basic gist of it, though, is that there's a land deal. There's going to be a train running through town. And this woman is trying to, like, buy off all these politicians. And then they stop her. Yeah, using science and wit. But there's so much wit. There's so much mm. personality. Everyone in the cast is really, really good. We haven't even talked about um, uh, Ramos, played by Marco de Rios. Mm. The, uh, the third member of the team. Yeah, who plays... Who, uh, who's presented as a sidekick. He doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he's just as important as the other two. Well, Bartok has, has a lab assistant, but we find out that he's... Harvard educated. He has multiple he's, degrees, if I recall. He's, yeah. He knows multiple languages. He's just as capable a scientist. And I do appreciate mm. as the series goes on, because this is a very light, mm. uh, uh, squeaky clean version of the Old West. The, uh, the threats are never super serious. Yeah, this isn't Deadwood, where everyone's like just saying the f word and and yeah, you know, there's their filth and drunkenness everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a, a PG thirteen kid friendly version of of Western filth. Yeah, it's something like Robert Zemeckis would have dreamt up in like the mm. mid eighties. It's like, oh no, you caught a woman in her underwear. Yeah, but it's old West underwear. It's like more clothing than ordinary clothes now. But how naughty! Indeed, those mm. bloomers. Yes. Uh, but towards as the series progresses, they do finally address some serious issues of. Uh, race and discrimination and it would have been nice if they'd gotten to that a little sooner and in a little bit more depth but there is at least one episode dedicated very directly to it yeah um so kudos for that but this is the sort of thing where it's just it's it's clean to an almost embarrassing degree which is fine which is fine I, i think it's okay for something like this you know this light fun western to be okay for a younger audience Sure, uh, no, you know, it's like, fine. Like it's an, just... an 11-year-old could enjoy Legend. Absolutely. There's one uh, trope the series falls back on over and over again, mm-hmm. um, at least three or four times, uh, where we're introduced to a Native American Indian character. Yeah. Uh, and I apologize if I'm using the wrong terminology. I'm, I'm trying, um, and if I get it wrong, I apologize. Sherman uh, Alexi has taught me that Indian is okay, mm-hmm. but I've also heard it's not okay. So. I, I'm, I'm hedging my bets and yeah. going for all of that. Um, regardless... We introduce the character, and the character is presenting themselves in a somewhat stereotypical Western fashion, doing mm-hmm. an Indian dance, for example. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that after they do this big, you know, sort of, you know, familiar what you would expect in this kind of material dance, mm-hmm. they break character and say, okay, everybody, thank you. Thank you for enjoying our, our genuine Indian rain dance. Donations are going, uh, buckets are going around now. Next show's at six o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, which, it, which is a joke from Maverick, which came out the year before, but it's fine. It's, well, fine. It, it, it's not old yet. What I think is interesting is that in order to sort of play, in order for the show to say, see, we're, we're not being racist, mm-hmm. the, the direction they usually go to is we're going to introduce as the cliche, but actually they act really white. Mm. And that's something about that, like when you use it, especially when you use it consistently, just feels like mm. I'm not sure how much of an improvement this is. <laughs> Maybe well, you need they, a bit more nuance. They, they don't necessarily behave white. They're just smarter and modern because they're modern people now. And, you know, they don't behave the way they do in the novels. And I think that, I think it's fine. I, there, there was a really funny line of dialogue from from one of the Indian characters. It's like, well, how, how are we going to, like, scare off this bad guy? It's like, how, we can make it rain. Hey, Indian character, do a rain dance. And he looks at him. He's like, 
I don't need to do a rain dance. We get 15 inches a year here around here. Precip- precipitation is really high. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like we, we don't, we're not a tribe that has a rain dance. We get plenty of rain. Right. So it, it's turning that cliche around on the white character's ignorance. I, I think that's fine. I'm not sure it's my, it's my place to say whether it's fine or mm. not, but certainly at least some effort was made mm. for whatever that's worth. No, in most of these cases, the white people were the butt of the joke, which, is, which is why I think it's... It doesn't feel unsavory to me. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about some episodes. So we talked a little bit about uh, the pilot, mm-hmm. birth of a legend. This is just a big, mm-hmm. very well written. The dialogue is incredibly sharp mm-hmm. from the, beginning the, to end. The pacing is slightly sluggish. Feels like it got padded a bit in the second yeah, half. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the scenes maybe go on a little like longer the than fir- they need to. The first three or four episodes, I feel like they were padding a lot, and it wasn't until they a little bit later in the series that they started to really pick up the pace and understand what kind of show they were making. But again. Tons of charm. Yeah. Like charm, despair. And mm. especially in this first episode, you know, we got shootouts and horses and hang gliding mm. and, and uh, uh, you know, cars the, before there were cars. The Nicodemus steam powered velocipede. A velocipede's a bike, but whatever. It's uh, fine. <laughs> it's fine. The, one of the recurring gags is that Bartok's names for all of his inventions are obscenely long, mm. even though today we know what they are. So one of the things he invents in the first episode is a taser. Yeah. Just shoots you with electricity and you're stunned and you go, ah. But, but from a distance, it's like a taser gun. It looks cool. Yeah. Like, it's it's steampunk up the mm. wazoo. But, like, <laughs> but he calls it, like, ah, yes, Bartok's ever-charging, super-charging, electricity-shooting mm. gun thingy. Can, can we stop and address John Delancey's horrific accent in this? I don't know what it's, he's doing. That sort of comes and goes out of Eastern and Western Europe with just sort of a laissez-faire open passport. It, it, he he doesn't have one consistent accent throughout the show. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I like John Delancey a lot. He, I think he's a great actor. I, I, still, I like this character a lot. And I like the character a lot as well. I think his accent could have been dispensed with or sharpened. I think that's perfectly mm-hmm. fair. Like, maybe he was he was from Hungary, but he came to the U.S. a long time ago. Maybe he has one word he pronounces weird, like planetarium, whatever it is. <laughs> it's a South Park joke. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. But, uh, yeah, as, as great as the show is, whenever he try like, really tries to sound European, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, the episode ends with them saving the day, uh, helping the underdogs... And Pratt wants to go home, mm. and he's about to go home. And there's a cool bit actually where he's like gonna walk into the sunset, and Bartok is like, "This is the part where you walk into the sunset, isn't it?" And he's like, "Yeah, usually that's how this thing goes." And he starts walking. And it's like, you know, you could stay here. <laughs> and he's just like, "No, no, I'm good. I don't really this care. Is the sunset. I, like, I need to go that I, way. I'm not a hero. I'm I'm good. Thanks." Well, actually, I talked to your publisher, and he said that if you don't stay here and continue to pretend to be Nicodemus Legend, he'll cancel your books. Uh, All right, I'll stay. <laughs> Fair enough. The the agent, by the way, is played by Bob Balaban. Yeah, he, he shows up in a couple. A couple, of a couple times. He's in like three or four episodes. And I think he directed an episode too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's always great. Mm. Oh, and we we didn't mention the other uh, face of the mm. town, and that is the mayor, mm. who is also a taxidermist and the the town's. Um, undertaker. undertaker. Yeah. So when it comes to protecting his citizens, there's a bit of a conflict of interest. <laughs> Which is hilarious, and there's all kinds of wonderful gallows humor. It's like, I hear you're going to go for a gunfight. I'll make sure it's Naughty Pine. We'll we'll celebrate your heroic death. What if I don't die? Oh, no, it's okay. Go ahead, die. <laughs> Naughty Pine, right? It's, 
Like he's rooting for his own citizens to die. It's hilarious. The next episode is called Mr. Pratt Goes to Sheridan. And this is a fun premise. Sh- for- Sheridan is the name of the, the town where it takes place, right? Uh, Sheridan, Colorado? Yeah. But let me look that up. There's a couple of towns. They go to Denver a lot as well. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of nearby towns. Um, in this episode, Ernest apparently has gone back to San Francisco, gotten his stuff, and is now moving back down. Mm-hmm. And he yeah, shows sure, up. Sure in Colorado. And he shows up drunk as a skunk. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all of this, it turns out that a a very famous bank robber mm-hmm. named Gentleman Jim. Uh, has decided to turn himself in, but only to Nicodemus Legend. <laughs> and Brad, of course, wants none of this. That sounds dangerous. That sounds like a trap. <laughs> and it turns out that the gunfighter and the uh, bank robber, who is played by Stephen Baldwin, back when that was kind of cool. <laughs> was, I think it was before it was kind of cool. It was around it? the usual suspects and right fled. It was around it that time. It would have been after Threesome. Yeah. So he was, he was known. He was known. People knew who he was. He was pretty cool. And... um. Uh, yeah, it turns out he says, I'm turning myself in because I've robbed a lot of banks. I've never murdered anybody, and they're accusing me of murder. Also, they said that I stole $250,000. And there's there not was, that much money in the world. There was point. only yeah. $10,000 in that bank. Something crazy is going on, and only Nicodemus Legend can help me solve it. Mm-hmm. That's a fun little premise. I have to clear. And he's. He, and the he's a gentleman bank robber. He's hailed as a hero. He's kind of a Robin Hood type character. Yeah. So even though he's a bank thief, people love him. Yeah. And uh, Bartok actually, even though he's a total goody two shoes, he embraces this as an opportunity. It's like you're going to rob a bank. No, I'm going to improve the science of bank robbery. <laughs> so, well, I, I use dynamite. Well, why don't you use this special bizarre chemical that I've just developed? <laughs> because it doesn't work. <laughs> It's not tested. <laughs> yes, I know. We will test it today. Okay, Bartok, sit down. Uh, it's, it's a real hoot. I, um, I'm a big fan of this episode. Um, is there anything else in particular you uh, felt was noteworthy about it before uh, we move on? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think we should steam through just because there's there's 13 episodes. Or I, I guess forgot, there's 12, the, including the two-part pilot. There's one other line I forgot mm. that's... Um, uh, Pratt has, which is really great. And it's like, yes, uh, gentleman Jim wired us to say he's he's turning himself in, and uh, mm-hmm. and he only turned himself into Nicodemus Legend. And Pratt says, well, you wire wire him right back and say, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was funny. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is Legend on his president's secret service. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this opens. Is, this, this is the one with. Um, uh, oh God, G.W. Bailey, Bailey as President Grant. Yeah, G.W. Bailey, who most people only recognize from the Police Academy movies. Yeah, that's kind of his yeah, well, his and, and and also Short Circuit. But yeah, he, he was also in Rustler's he, Rhapsody. He he kind of played the same character in all of them. He he was yeah. a, a great at being a really mean hard ass type. So he plays Ulysses S. Grant. The mm. great Fianella Flanagan plays yeah. uh, Mrs. Grant, which is great. Um, and well, there is a lot of minor Star Trek crossover with this show. Fiona Flanagan played uh, Data's, quote, mom in one character. Right. Or in, in one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, and that's not surprising because Michael P- 
Pillar, one of the creators of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, created this show. Uh, yeah, we forgot to mention that. Mm. Michael Pillar, uh, he also was behind uh, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, mm. uh, wrote or co-wrote the screenplay to Insurrection. He also did the TV series version of The Dead Zone, which was really good. Oh, nice. Okay. It was co-created by Bill Dial, who also worked on shows like Sliders, WKRP in Cincinnati, and a show called 18 Wheels of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> which co-starred which co-starred Billy D Williams mm. G Gordon Lil- Liddy Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to say this, it's a crime fighting show about like action Truckers. heroes in a tr- in a giant truck and it was not a one season show. <laughs> God it lasted damn it. a while. <laughs> I was so excited like, "Oh my god, G Gordon Liddy Billy, Billy D. Williams, Williams, 18 Wheels of Justice. Doesn't and, that sound amazing? And that somehow wasn't canceled after four episodes? There were 46 episodes oh of 18 God. Wheels of Justice, and it aired in the year 2000. No way! It wasn't old! This, this is not 1979? Holy crap! <laughs> Seriously, what, go, just go online and watch, like, go to YouTube and watch the opening credits for 18 Wheels of Justice. It's exactly what you think it would look oh like. Oh my God. It's amazing. I love our show just because I get to find out about shows like 18 Wheels of Justice. But we don't get to review 18 Wheels of Justice. What What a a tragedy. (laughs) Bonus podcast. Great. Another one. Um, So anyway, uh, in this episode, Nicodemus Legend slash Ernest Pratt ends up kind of in the middle of what could be an assassination attempt against Ulysses S. Grant, but it ends up being a little bit more complicated than that. There was a Civil War general from the South who wants Ulysses S. Grant to sort of change his mind on the topic of how Reconstruction is being handled. Mm. You'd think that would be topical or, like, handled with a little... It's 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 they, really not. It's they, Yeah, they don't really address the, the politics or, you know... The South is just sort of like a generic bad guy yeah. in, in this episode. And uh, although he does get to meet Ulysses Grant, and yep. Grant is kind of disgusted when he learns that Nicodemus Legend isn't a real guy. Mm. So, uh, and, you know, the, the conversation they have about drinking is great because you know about Ulysses Grant and drinking. Um, does that famous quote from Abe Lincoln? It's like, mm. uh, Ulysses Grant has, been, has taken the field. It's like, well... Find out whatever that drunk has been drinking and send a case to all of my generals. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but yeah. Uh, so they, they do get to sort of... You can see that Pratt wants to bond with Grant over their common drinking enthusiasm, yeah. and he can't. And when he says, yes, I love to drink, Ulysses Grant, I have an in with the president. This is a topic I know he's, a, I know he's into. And he brings it up, and Ulysses Grant is disgusted and throws him out. Well, not throws him out, but it's like... He's not happy. Yeah, yeah. I think you better go now. <laughs> it's one of the, it's, that's, and that's one of the many great contradictions mm. of Nicodemus yeah. Yeah. The next episode is called Custer's Next to Last Stand. And it has George Armstrong Custer. Yeah, he comes into town. Um, turns out some guy's got a grudge against... Yes, Nicodemus Legend. Custer is this episode kind of fell apart, like in my memory. Yeah, like it's not a great episode. Uh, there's a cute bit where we find out like there's a dead man on the city council, and it's like, oh, oh it's right. just an honorary thing. But like he voted. I don't know how that worked. Um, <laughs> uh, Custer is played by Alex Hyde White from the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Oh, that's why I recognize uh, yeah, him. Yeah, okay. you, you watch him like he looks so fucking familiar. Who is this guy? Mm. Uh, it's driving me nuts. Ah! 
that they have George Armstrong Custer, you'd think it would be a bunch of lame jokes. It's only a couple lame jokes. You would think. They, they don't really ring it for all of its comic possibility. And, and, and it would be nice if they had really delved into because they really try to make Custer seem like kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of asides in which they address it, like Ramos has a bit where he meets Custer and Custer recognizes that Ramos is not white. Mm-hmm. And indeed, Ramos says, I think he's part, uh, he's part Aztec. Aztec. Yeah. yeah. And his, his first name is like some multisyllabic Aztec word. Yeah. I, I wrote it down and I'm not going to, mm. I'm not going to uh, try to pronounce I'm it. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I'm just going to get it wrong and I don't want to do that. Let, let, um, let me see if I can do it. Okay. Um, do you really want to? Okay. Huitzilopochtitl. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know, I, I don't know if that's right or wrong. And, and I apologize. It's a complicated name. Uh, he goes up to Ramos and he just says, oh, what, what tribe are you from? And he says, and Custer says, oh, well, we're not at war with you. So that's fine. We're friends, right? And Ramos says, we're not at war yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's not happy about having to deal with Custer and like, g- good. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well done. Um Custer's life is of course saved at the end but then like oh yes I'll tell you I just gotta go to this quick battle of Bull Run it's not a big thing <laughs> my, my favorite Custer joke came from Gary Larson's The Far Side mm. where uh, the single panel was a bunch of Indians sort of like standing in a circle and they're looking down at the reader as yeah. if the reader's laying on their back and the caption was just Custer's last view <laughs> ouch yeah uh, the next episode is called The Life Death and life of Wild Bill Hickok. I like the Wild Bill episode. It's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So Wild Bill Hickok comes to town. He's in search of someone to help him catch his arch nemesis. And he goes to Nicodemus Legend. That's when he finds out that Nicodemus Legend, even in his legendary form, isn't the kind of person Hickok likes to likes to work with. Because Nicodemus Legend doesn't even use guns. Uh-huh. While he's there, they go through that shtick of some like hothead young whippersnapper coming in. It's like, Wild Bill Hickok! I'm calling you out. Mm. So they go out into the street. Like, I, and, and it is, he does try to talk him down in that typical Western What's way. It's like, I'm just going to murder you. Yeah, just, son, you don't want go, this. Go it's not home. worth it. Sure enough, the kid misses, but so does Wild Bill Hickok. And it turns out. <laughs> he needs glasses. He needs glasses. <laughs> uh. Luckily, they have a, a master of optics around. <laughs> so. Because because he has, because Bartok has, is a master of all the sciences. Yep. Uh, yeah, so this is going to be, well, because like I says, well, once I need glasses, this is over, but I need to finish off this job. Mm-hmm. By that point, the bad guy has heard that Nicodemus Legend is going to team up with Wild Bill Hickok, even though they're not. So he goes after Nicodemus Legend and kidnaps Ernest Pratt. And there's actually like this really good bit where he's just like, yeah, I read your books. They're crap. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You know how many, how many stagecoach robbers try to rob a stagecoach from behind? None, because it's impossible. You rob it from the front. What is the matter with the, you? The horses are running away from you. Yeah, and there's more of them, so you're not going to catch up. Like, it's actually like a good bit. There's actually like a Twilight Zone episode about that, about like a Western hero who's like actually like Billy the Kid actually showed up to tell him what it was really like, and it was really funny. And you could tell Rod Sterling was really, really mad about historical inaccuracies. It was really great. Um, but yeah, Wild Bill Hickok, uh, they end up going through the tragic death of Wild Bill Hickok. And then they just say at the end, but Bartok faked his death and he just retired peacefully. Which is fine. Uh, it, you it's know, in, cute. In this kind of show, that's the kind of ending you want. Yeah. There's, 
Again, the stakes in Legend are always incredibly low. Yeah. There's only one or two out there's the racism episode and the theology episode, which I think are the only ones where the stakes feel like they're kind of raised. Mm-hmm. But there's no real risk, and I think that works to the show's credit. Well, it's because it needs to have a light tone, and the mm. more you delve into the harsh realities of American history, mm. the less fun you can have. Now, yeah. you can argue that maybe that's irresponsible, but you can also argue that it's okay to have fun once in a while, and Legend is mostly harmless. And, and if you really want to think of it in sort of in the context of the show, Legend wrote this very sanitized version of the West in his own pulp novels. This is just, this is just the modern that. version of that spirit. And I and think honestly, that's once- what a most movie westerns are as the sanity even the the sergio leone stuff where everybody's greasy and horrible Mm -hmm. even that's cleaner than what it really was like absolutely uh the next uh, episode is called knee high noon this episode i i I liked how they handled it i kind of wish we hadn't had this episode but there's a lot worse ways they could have done it in this episode the plot Fixes the premise. <laughs> the, the episode begins with uh, Pratt once again trying to romance a hot mom. Mm. Uh, this time she's got a kid who dresses like Nicodemus Legend. He's his mm. hugest fan and he does the whole thing where it's like, I'm going to show up and take my picture with this kid and then I'm going to get to have sex with his mom. And he just sort of just like, <laughs> classy guy, Pratt, well, well done. While he waits in an alley, I guess. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> Uh, but it turns out that was all a huge grift, and now that they have that picture taken with him, uh, this kid is selling himself as Nicodemus, Nicodemus Jr., Jr. Yeah. and the publisher loves the idea and wants Pratt to write him into the book, and he hates the kid, and he keeps trying to write him into horrible situations in the book where he's gonna <laughs> die or get fucking or did, get did, written out. <laughs> did Did you ever uh, see the early Tarzan movies with Johnny Weissmuller? Uh, yeah, and they fin- I think we talked about it on the show before. Uh, and and they finally got to boy. Yeah, Tarzan finds a Tarzan son. Find, Tarzan finds he doesn't he can't have a son. They can't nope. not not with the production code. He can't just have sex with Jane. Yeah, they're not married. It doesn't count. Never mind that that's kind of the fantasy element of Tarzan, that he's the stud that you can have sex with. But uh, yeah, they find a son. Boy's this little white kid with a mop of curly blonde hair, and he doesn't seem like a jungle boy at all. Yeah. And... Like, he wouldn't survive in the jungle. And the amongst... franchise basically dies. And it died, right? Like, it was bad enough that they had Cheetah, the chimp, yeah. as the sort of kid service. Now they actually add a child character, and you just want to throttle that child. So your concern... He's the cousin Oliver of the Tarzan world. So your concern when you're watching this episode of Legend is, oh, God, what if they're going for it? And it turns out, no, they know this character sucks. Yeah. They know uh, this is a terrible character. Luckily, they walk it back. But for the first half of the episode, you're like, oh, God, please do something. Oh, thank goodness you did something. But did we really have to sit through all of that? Yeah. Uh, the next episode, and this is a fun one. This is oh, the, 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 the twist is that it was a grift. Yeah, yeah I no, guess you said a, that already. It was but, a yeah. grift. It was a grift. And the kid ends up uh, finding out that being Nicodemus legend is a lot harder than it looks. And they find a new way to be a grifter. Mm. And great. They're well, out of Nicodemus' hair. And, that's and, it. And Pratt doesn't care because he's a grifter anyway. Yeah, so, I, don't, yeah. I don't care. Moving on. Speaking Please. of grifters, the next episode, The Gospel According to mm. Legend, mm. co-stars Robert Englund, mm. who's great. And once he comes in, your first thought is, oh, this is great. Freddy Krueger is here. He's probably going to be a lovable hero. Uh, no. He's, no the, he's actually the heavy. 
Yep, he's he's a preacher who comes to town, and Pratt immediately recognizes him as was it Weasel Willie? Weasel Weasel something. He yeah. he used to be a, a con man and a criminal who claims to have found Jesus and turned his life around, and now yep. is a traveling preacher on the circuit. So Pratt is constantly trying to like just say, look, just just get out of town. I'm gonna have to do something about it. I just, mm-hmm. we, we both know this ends badly, but Robert England insists he's doing the Lord's work. He's turned his life around. And indeed, he's not even asking for money. And then he goes to one of Robert England's sermons, and it turns out his sermon is anti-science. Well, it's particularly anti-Bartok, but yeah, generally anti-science. Yeah, he's talking about, oh, there's this scientist (laughs) in Europe who says that God wasn't created, God didn't create man, and man is descended from monkeys. Mm -hmm. Are you a monkey? Bartok probably thinks you're a (laughs) monkey. Uh, It would have been, the timing... Checks out because yeah. Voyage of the Beagle was what eighteen fifty around yeah, no, there. It was around thing. there. Yeah, it was, it, it, the timing. The timing checks out. So the, that's me- this sort of they, they do refer to it as a revival. That was much later. Like the the re- religious revival wasn't until later. But, and there's uh, frequently been a religious mm-hmm. backlash to a lot of science, include yeah, yeah, yeah throughout yeah. history. Scientists have been mm-hmm. persecuted for mm-hmm. saying things like the sun doesn't the sun doesn't revolve around the earth it's the other way around yeah yeah put him in clap him in irons mm-hmm. that's a thing so Bartok, well, who, who just you, thinks you everyone see, likes him. Do you ever see that this, film Creation with Paul Bettany no. as as Darwin? No. And, and he comes up with, and he's a religious man who just, you know, through scientific observation comes up with evolution. And all of his scientific friends, who are all like stone cold atheists, like just walk up to him. And Toby Jones gets to walk up to him and like claps him on the back and says, you've destroyed God, sir. Like very happily. <laughs> like, and, and of course, he, Paul Bettany's like, he's very taken aback. He's like, well, th- that wasn't what I was trying to do, but okay. <laughs> So Bartok goes to town thinking everyone loves him and he's just everyone's friend, and indeed that's been the way it's been the entire time. And people set fire to his velocipede, and they're going to try to string him up. And it's a series of speeches, one after the other, and it turns out that Robert Englund is actually working for a company that is trying to sell fertilizer to the town Mm -hmm. in the middle of a huge drought. But Bartok might be getting in the way of that because, because he's he found a way. See, he can seed the clouds and create rain. Absolutely. So mm. it all boils down to who can create the rain. So they create um, the rain in the, just in the nick of time and it all works out. Mm. But like, yeah, it, this episode gets pretty dark. There's like pitchforks. And it's kind of ironic to see Freddy Krueger leading like an angry mob with torches and pitchforks <laughs> to burn someone inside their house. He killed our children. <laughs> and then Bartok invades his dreams. Ooh. Wouldn't that be ironic? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I do like this sort of this science versus anti-science debate, I think, is really great that they brought it up in mm-hmm. a show that is very sci- sci-fi based during a time of sort of uh, religious hysteria. Um, uh, yeah, I'm glad that it was depicted in the way it was. Uh, there was a really cute line from Ramos. Uh, who said, you know, I, I can go talk to him. I have a degree in theology. He's like, that's one of your many degrees. You have a degree in theology. And he says something cute like, oh, you know, I'm a scientist, but hedge my bets. <laughs> 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 but, play, you know, do a little bit, little bit of research. Ramos is a really underrated character and or at least underused character. And I mm. really if the show had gone on, I would have loved to have seen more of him. Yeah, that's yeah. he's well, he, and he does get an episode. So that's he, one. He, I think he gets his due. What, he gets one episode. In, in, he had one season. He gets one episode. It's that's, interesting to see Had the show continue. We get more. But when you think about it, there's characters who show up a lot and they're characters who are in the credits. Mm. And that's when you get Richard E. Anderson. 
You got John Delancey. Mm-hmm. You got uh, 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 Mark Adair Rios mm-hmm. as Ramos. You also get Jared Paul Monk as Skeeter. I think they were going to do more with him. He's barely <laughs> yeah. in it. Like he's in most episodes, but he usually has a couple of lines. Like it's really weird. He's so yeah, and, heavily credited, and, and he, he doesn't like give out wisdom or kick off the plot. He's not like Charlie. Yeah, no, he's like Ray Liotta in Casablanca, where like he's in there and he's played by Ray Liotta, so you're super distracted, but he has nothing to do ever, mm-hmm. and you have to. Assume they had plans, <laughs> and they just never got around. Yeah. To them. Uh, so the next episode is called "Bone of Contention." There's dinosaurs. Yeah, they find a dinosaur bone, but uh, where there's dinosaurs, there's probably crude oil, and so there's a big fight over the land. Yada yada yada. It turns out okay. Mm-hmm. I kind of drifted off a little bit. I think this episode was a little unnecessarily complicated. Uh, th- there are uh, two different parties on. Uh, racing to find the same dinosaur skeleton for various reasons. One is the oil magnet. He wants to find a store of oil and, uh, and Bartok wants to find it for scientific purposes. Right. They find the dinosaur skeleton and this is the stupidest effing thing on the show. Mm -hmm. They don't just, they don't find like a pile of fossils. Okay. You remember that scene in Jurassic Park, like right at the beginning where they're brushing off the dinosaur skeleton and it's like laying on the ground in this like perfect death pose and the entire skeleton is there? Yeah, it's really rare. It, no, that never happens. No, they're Archaeopteryx. They found basically the entire thing. Oh, they found that. Okay, like, it's it's really rare to they find use, an almost complete skeleton. They find like five to twelve percent of an animal. That's and that's that's and that's it's like a, and it's like yeah. a pile that it it's already been eaten. Yeah, so and Archaeopteryx the is like, not a big dinosaur, by yeah. the way. This is like a tyrannosaur. Yeah, that they found. They don't just find the entire skeleton, but it's been. Uh, luckily, like brushed off, cleaned, and assembled, standing up by some uh, by some museum curators in a cave <laughs> with steel rods. Yeah, it's like it, it's it's <laughs> the so, the skeleton is standing upright, and I understand they want like an, an impressive visual. Yeah, but what what did it die and <laughs> did it, like die standing up? And rigor mortis was so strong it lasted sixty five million years. <laughs> It's so stupid. It's not. It's not smart. There's for a, for a, sh- a show that just had an episode about the strengths of science. It's yeah. not getting any of the science right. This episode did have a good scene where Pratt decided to do his usual shtick, where he like has a drink with somebody mm-hmm. and feels him out and like gets them to like reveal their secrets and plans. Mm-hmm. And he goes up to this one guy, and they just start talking obtusely to each other, back and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth. Just keep saying, "Ah, but he who hesitates is lost. Ah, you must hate losing things." <laughs> Uh, but that's why you're in town. I'm in town for reasons that make mysterious things. And it just like goes back and forth in like this really elliptical, enigmatic fashion forever. And eventually you realize that's not the guy he should be talking to. And he's not going to spill anything. <laughs> it's really funny. That's hilarious. Well, the next episode is called Revenge of the Herd. <sighs> A, a European publisher of Legends books is in town. He's German. He's, done, he's there with his son, and he wants Nicodemus Legend to take him on a hunting trip. But that's not what Nicodemus Legend does. And even Pratt is weirdly... like I wouldn't think Pratt well, would be anti-hunting, but he's really skittish about it. They don't like the idea of just killing animals. He, he's skittish about it. He's he's never just killed an animal for fun. But uh, it's and, still like over 100 years ago, the idea of like, oh, animals, oh, I don't know if I can do that. That seems uh, like a little forced. It might be a little too modern, but I think, I think it works fine for a character like Nicodemus Legend. You mm-hmm. don't want him to be, you know... 
a, a scoundrel who's trying to be upstanding, and both of those characters are fine with just murdering Buffalo, which we know, thanks to well, Dances with Wolves, which is sort of lingering in the pop consciousness, true. that you don't just murder Buffalo. Uh, you know, the native people need those Buffalo. They're beautiful animals. They're, they're part endangered. of the ecosystem. They're part of the ecosystem. They're endangered today. You want to protect those Well, animals. when I think about, like, in the late 1800s, mm. kind of pulp heroes, one of the ones who comes to mind is Alan Quartermain. Okay. And <coughs> he was a hunter. <laughs> he was a, he there was a nobility to his hunting and he wouldn't just mm. like just shoot like any animal for any reason and there even in like the King Solomon's Mines adaptation from the 1950s there's a whole bit about how oh, I want to shoot all these animals you get one yeah <laughs> and even that I feel bad about cuz you're an asshole like mm. just like you came here to shoot a thing, you shot the thing, leave the rest he, of them alone, he hunts, put down the gun. He's a hunter, but he's a hunter for the right reasons. He doesn't mm-hmm. hunt for or, sport or because he's bloodthirsty. Yeah, yeah, well... He, he hunts for the challenge. Yeah, I don't know if that's the right reason, mm. but it's not It's not careless and mm. it's not out of evil. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's an attitude which I could have imagined Nicodemus Legend having and then maybe learning a viable lesson about why that's bad. Mm. Instead, he's he and Bartok are just like, you're going to kill a buffalo? Mm. You monster! How <laughs> dare you! Well, and, and it's also explained that the native people require those animals, and by destroying them off, you would be sort of like wrecking a certain part of the country. Yeah, in fact, when they take him on, they actually just go to some random place outside town, assume yeah. they won't find any buffalo, well, and, and, and then just like, oh, and th- there weren't any today, we'll just go home. Uh-huh. And then it turns out a couple of buffalo just wander onto their campsite mm. while he's in the middle of giving a big speech about how the buffalo know there's no grazing to be done here <laughs> and then like okay there's a couple of stupid buffalo who don't <laughs> understand how it works uh so it, they, they drug the germans like they put they put drugs in their beer because of course they have beer on the prairie yeah and uh, and they pass out and it's like okay well what, what do we do how do we sort of get them out of here and they talk about various ways to dispose of them and they would kill all of the the plans they come up with would kill them so they end up just waking up uh so they decide to build what do they call it thunder hooves thunder hooves which is a gigantic glowing red-eyed buffalo robot (laughs) they do this in collaboration with the arapaho indians Mm. uh who are are in the are in the episode? They're just like you're bringing hunters onto our land to kill our buffalo. We we need our buffalo. Mm. You you can't do that. And one of the things that uh, Bartok and Pratt convince him is if we build a giant buffalo fire breathing robot, we can scare all the white hunters off the land, and then they won't come anymore. Mm. And they're just like, okay, how much money are you going to give us for this? And then they're just like, one hundred fifty dollars. All right, fine. But we get to use thunder hooves in a book. <laughs> Uh, And it works, but then he comes back like a week later with more hunters because they've basically created a Bigfoot that everyone wants to come in and see. Now now we have to hunt Thunderhooves. So So now they have a problem even worse. So now they need to make Thunderhooves bigger and more dangerous than ever before. It works out okay. Now... There was at least some precedent to the robot buffalo because they were creating a robot cow in a few earlier episodes. That's true. It was for uh, when they were trying to stop cattle wrestlers. Yeah. And so they created a cow that they can sort of walk around inside, like a mechanical cow. You're right. They, you know, you're right. They put in the legwork. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it totally it fine. It didn't come out of the blue. <laughs> they had set it up yeah. that there could, this is a universe where a giant fire breathing mechanical buffalo could exist. Uh, the next episode. It, is- sound, it sounds like something out of like Cowboys of Moo Mesa. You know, it's yeah, just it's like, a, like Saturday morning cartoon premise. The next episode is called Fall of a Legend. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, Pratt is 
having naked story time in a barn with a young lady and mm. her father shows up and runs him off with a shotgun. He tries to use his taser, but he drops it. It's pretty bad. Uh, and then and then right after he leaves, some other guys come in and kill the farmer and they frame Nicodemus Legend mm. for the murder. And everyone's just sort of fine with that. Yeah, he probably did it. String him up. Well, he dropped his taser, and yeah, who else has bad. a ta- who else has a taser? He was definitely there. Yep. And he's being very mum about trying to seduce this young woman. Yep. Uh, because he has to keep up his facade, so he's he's in a rut, and he goes on trial, and it's it's, it's kind just, of a it's kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. Just, the trial episodes are always kind of boring. It's the kind of episode any show could do, mm. kind of. So it doesn't really amount to much. Yeah. Um, the and, next, and the conflict is presented right away, so mm-hmm. it's just a matter of when it's going to turn over. The next episode is a weird one on a couple of levels. It's called Clueless in San Francisco. Uh, it's they go to San Francisco. We get to meet uh, Pratt's mother, who it turns out is mm. awesome. Who I'm surprised was I guess Louise Fletcher was busy doing VR five that week. <laughs> Because you know they just wrote it for a, a bigger star. I mean, the actress yeah. they got was fine, but you, you know that it's like they were hoping finally, to get we finally someone. get to get meet Legend's mom, who is Legend's mom, and it's I don't know some lady, yeah, some lady, uh, Debbie Reynolds. They couldn't get Debbie Reynolds. Oh, that would have been cool yeah. if they could have got Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> um, they end up uh, with a woman named Patents, played by Molly Hagan, an actress I really like. Mm. Um, and she is a white woman who was raised uh, with Native American Indians, mm. is married, is part of the tribe, and she's happy there. But now she's pregnant, and she wants to try to track down her original family. Mm. And, uh, and they live in San Francisco. That's all she knew, is that they were going mm. to San Francisco when it's she a, got lost. It's about se- teaching the, learning more about her son's heritage. Yeah. Um, and uh, sure enough, and we ran into an episode of Manimal almost exactly like this. <laughs> The missing child comes back, but now she's going to have claim to an inheritance, and now like the rich assholes who have the inheritance mm. are going to try to kill her. There, That's it. That's the whole episode. This, the, every single show, no matter what the premise was, had this episode. Yep. The interesting thing was what we learned about uh, Legend's mom. And you'd think that in a show like Legend, who's this sort of Lothario is uncomfortable with being decent, that the mom would either be super decent and strict and he's really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. or she'd be really outrageous and embarrassing and he's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. She's really outrageous and embarrassing, but he's not that uncomfortable. No, in fact, he finds her like kind of overbearing and difficult, but yeah. he actually does love her, and you yeah. can see why. She speaks many languages, she has mm-hmm. intelligent salons, she is, and this is the thing in this episode that I kind of wish they'd found a better episode to put this in, mm. because this was an era of a lot lot of uh, mediums, of people uh, trying to contact the spirit realm through what appeared to be science, but was, and has rather famously been catalogued, uh, elaborate cons, Mm -hmm. many of which through some form of science. And Bartok gets to impersonate a medium and mm -hmm. uses science to not only put on a seance, but also, like, call out the real killers. Yeah. That's cool. He, he stages a seance to, to, yeah, find out who the actual criminals are. I, I like that. That bit was um, good, but there's this whole chunk in the middle where it's just, man, this could be an episode of MacGyver. This could have been an episode yeah, well, I, of L.A. Law. This could have been anything. I, I'm guessing, the, like, the, the mediums and the salons was really the focus of the episode, and they had right. to, like, they thought the story was a kind of like a back 
And then the I took a backseat. And in the very last episode, we had skeletons in the closet, in which um, I like this. I like the opening scene because the idea is that Bartok has invented his own version of the zoetrope. Right. And if you know what a zoetrope is, a zoetrope is before we had movie cameras projecting film, uh, this was a circular spinning device, and you would look through slats on it, and it would look like a moving picture, but it would be a loop. It would be like what we call a GIF today. It just loops back and forth over and over. It was a long uh, photographic strip with a series of still images on them Mm -hmm. that would be laid on the interior circular uh, track of the zoetrope, and you'd look through slots on the outside. Mm -hmm. It's like a mechanical flip. It would would flicker, and it would would create the illusion. So Bartok has actually convinced Pratt's publisher to come up with basically zoetropes of scenes from Pratt's mm. novels, and so they're recreating scenes from the show. And he's, he's running like in a straight line with a series of flashes going off as Bartok take, t- takes yeah. pictures of and him. And Skeeter is pretending to be the bad guys, and mm. he's throwing dynamite at him, and it's yeah. too much dynamite, and they almost get hurt, and all that bit's actually and, 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 really funny. And he he's like improvising dialogue it's like this this is a film there's no sound we're just recording still images no one's gonna be reading your lips skeeter i'm just getting into character (laughs) and uh, another dumb non-scientific thing when they first started uh using like film cameras and photographing things in this way you know a century Mm -hmm. ago um there was some scientific debate as to whether or not a horse when it ran lifted all four of its feet off of the ground at any point. Oh yeah. And you know as essentially it would be jumping a little bit as it ran and this was sort of uh, important to the way f- the physics of a horse. And a lot of people thought no the, it always has to have one foot on the ground that's the way you know gravity works. Mm-hmm. And when they finally started shooting horses they found that no there is a brief moment where all forces four of a horse's feet are off of the ground when it runs. And you, you can look up the old strips. You can find them yeah. on YouTube, I'm sure. And Bartok has a line of dialogue to Pratt about when he was running. Hey, when you're running, you're, both of your feet sometimes leave the ground. As if this is some sort of big scientific discovery about Nicodemus legend. Like, about <laughs> Pratt. About, like, we've never noticed before that people's feet can leave the ground. Yeah, no kidding! People's feet leave the you ground when they run. Right you have two legs. You can talk to a person. They can tell you how they run. That's stupid. <laughs> You're referring to a scientific discovery about horses and applying it to humans. It doesn't work. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure that's the reason why this was canceled because this was the last episode. <laughs> it was they were bad. just like, "Whoa, okay, you know what? Fuck all y'all. This is terrible. You know, the, stupid. It, it, it's not Richard as, Dean and canceled. <laughs> it, it's not as bad with its science as something like Hercules is with its mythology. Uh, no, that's true, but it's still pretty bad. But it, it is kind of like a, a kiddie version of science. Yeah. Um, so in this episode, while they're shooting something, they stumble across a skeleton in the middle of the desert. I'm mm. sure John Sayles saw this and immediately started writing Lone Star. Um, well, the creators of Persuaders said, hey... <laughs> Wait a minute, uh, that's my story. Uh, and it, the person has an Aztec ring on their finger, mm-hmm. and Ramos realizes that this is an important mystery. There's a reason for something that's going on. He tries to tell the local sheriff. The local sheriff is a racist asshole, mm-hmm. doesn't believe him. And then Bartok and Legend come in and just say, hey, you know, our friend came in here. And it's like, oh, oh, I didn't know he he knew white people. Oh, mm-hmm. then I would have taken him seriously. And this is the episode in mm-hmm. which, like, Legend slash Pratt and Bartok suddenly just like, oh, racism is a thing. Oh, wait, we we have a, a, a Latina help, Latino helper here. Yeah. 
he must not have it so easy, huh? Yeah, and to be fair, Ramos has been making pointed observations throughout, mm. but now is when we refer to his first opportunity, he gets to say, yes, yeah, and it sucks. This, this is horrible. It's and, constant. And and, he, and even he feels terrible about it because he's like, you know, I've, I've been living with the racism, you know, carrying my ancestry with me, mm. and people hate me because of it, and I don't even know my own ancestry. Yeah. And, and this is a very modern problem. He's been raised in essentially a white community. Yeah, and, went to and, Harvard. That's, that's a very white Yeah, so, place, and, yeah. and now he has to find the balance between his hand ancestry and where he fits in a modern, essentially white world. And he can't focus on any of his old work anymore, so he quits, and he decides to go undercover with a mysterious, like, antiquities dealer, played by John Vernon from Animal House, who is <laughs> so creepy in this, and I think it's his hair. Like, the way that it's it is his eyebrows. Hair. Yeah, his he eyebrows. looks yeah. uncomfortable. Like, he looks like, man, don't look me in the eyes, don't look me in the eyes. Mm. And it turns out he has been horribly stealing artifacts from native peoples from mm. across the border and plundering and murdering and all the rest. Yeah. And, uh, and they put a stop to that. Mm. It's about it. it it's, it's about good. It, it's, it's about fun. it, but it's a good episode. Thanks to R- Ramos's, uh, actual conflict, it becomes a, a little bit of a meteor episode. No, it is. It is a meteor yeah. episode. I'm just saying the, con- the, uh, the plot doesn't get any more comp- complicated. Though. Well, yeah. Um, the, the plots across the board aren't that complicated. No, it's sometimes fine, they're but, padded, but they're usually... Mm. Pre- but they are really well constructed. Like, usually they have this nice sort of pulpy opening. The opening to most episodes is usually just like, oh, how, how fun and intriguing. Mm. What you gonna do with that, legend? <laughs> and it turns out what they're gonna do with that is mostly really fun. <laughs> like, I, 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 I really well, ended up liking this show a lot. The, the, the Q setup, like the James Bond Q setup... How fitting that Q should play the Q character. Ha. Isn't that... I, I wonder if that, they were thinking that at some I, point. I like, we need a Q character. I got it. We have a character playing Q I'm across sure the street on I'm sure it occurred to someone Trek. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the James Bond Q, played by Q, who is giving him... It's like, here's a new device. This one will turn your nose invisible, whatever it is. And he's like, by the end of the episode, he's going to need a reason to turn his nose invisible. Yep. Just like in a James Bond movie. Yep. And you know what? You do that in a steampunk old West setting, and that's... Fine. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Well, and I actually kind of like looking back at it in terms of a lot of the contraptions that Bartok comes up with mm-hmm. are things that are relatively commonplace today, like headphones yeah. for, for listening devices. Or... Well, he also has like a, a camera. I'm not sure exactly how that works. Like he has a drone. Yeah, he comes up with a drone. He comes up with like a little tiny uh, uh, like weather balloon mm-hmm. uh, that he can control through a little fan. And it's got a camera in there. And that's a drone. And he's come up with these things. And it's interesting just to think about how sci-fi a lot of these really commonplace contraptions were Mm -hmm. at the time. And you can see, and I like the recurring joke of they would have worked and they would have made him really, really famous if he didn't have shitty names for all of them, which <laughs> well, is really and, funny. He's just bad that, at marketing. Well, and also, he, yeah, he was a, sh- a shamed engineer. He, so he didn't have the fame or the clout to push his products forward. So yeah. he was just using them the way they ought to be used. Yeah, <laughs> which for is good and decency. For, for good for and profit. decency, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a really charming, sweet show. And if it had gone 100 episodes... I, I I wouldn't have been surprised, honestly. Like this, mm. this was a this was a this was a victim of the early days of UPN when they didn't know what the network was, what it needed to be, mm. um, and they were kind of gun shy, and they canceled a show which 
had a lot of potential and really could have gone somewhere pretty great or at the very least been a consistent you know mm. like supernatural well, episodic you put you put something like legend on in the middle of the day on a sunday mm-hmm. you know where walker texas ranger lived for 150 years and it thrives there you put it on after the cartoons are over on Saturday morning, it thrives there. You put it on Friday night, it dies a, sl- a quick death. Well, it was on um, Tuesdays. It was on two. Tu- it, it was, was like on Action Tuesday. It was and- on again. It was on opposite Frasier, which mm-hmm. was a ratings monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on opposite Home Improvement and Wings, which were ratings monsters. Mm-hmm. And when it premiered, this is the first episode. It was Richard Dean Anderson's first show after the end of MacGyver, which was a huge hit. It aired opposite a repeat of National Lampoon's Vacation. Like just a, a the broadcast. Mo- yeah, it. the 12 right. year at the time a 12 year old popular but a 12 year old movie that had been broadcast hundreds of times before. And, it, and it's sanitized because it's network TV. And it came in and Legend came in dead last in the ratings. Wow. Dead last. Now part of this to be fair is because when they premiered UPN and WB weren't even available in all markets. Oh, well, there are yeah, a lot of okay, people who couldn't makes, watch them. That makes sense. But still, the ratings were not great. Mm. Good ratings for UPN or the WB were terrible ratings by anyone else's standards. Like a, the highest rated show on those networks, but that wasn't like Star Trek, would like break in the top 60 to 70 in the Nielsen ratings. <laughs> yeah. It was sad. Yeah. And Legend is not a cheap show. Legend it, is an expensive show with a lot of visual effects, mm-hmm. a lot of production design. I'm sure they're reusing a lot of sets and they just got a ghost town they're going back to over and over again. But still, not a cheap show. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate well, the, the, why they got a little nervous about the, it. The CGI hot air balloon never really looked that great, no, but uh, it's pretty cheap looking CGI hot air balloon. Oh, and it's made of but bamboo, think- which makes you wonder where they got it. <laughs> In the middle of Colorado? China. They, they, they shipped it in. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Fair enough, I guess. You can fly bamboo. It's fine. Okay. Just cutting it down and building it right there on the spot. Um, I think the show's tone might have been a little too kid-friendly for the way they sold it. Mm. They tried to sell it as part of the action pack. It was right next to Marker, which was like a hard-edged cop show. I, so, uh, or that's how it was marketed. Yeah, I never actually with, watched with, Marker. With, uh, I don't think I ever saw Marker. <laughs> Richard Grieco is Marker. Um, and... I mean, Marker was sold as like a more adult show. It dealt with like drugs and crime and sort of more, more quote, mature stories. Mm. This is a lighthearted kind of fun. Like I said, a good show for an 11 year old. Uh, This came out in 95. I was the right age for Legend and I could never find it, unfortunately, or was airing opposite something I was watching. So I never really got to get into Legend, but the bits I saw, I really liked. Mm -hmm. And I think if they had understood how to market a show for young teenagers and put it in a time slot where young teenagers could discover it a little bit more readily, then it might have at least acquired a little bit more of an audience. But at the same time, it's the UPN. I think it's interesting (laughs) that when you look at like a lot of the shows that were on in the early years, and even the later years of Mm. UPN and WB, it's very clear that they were networks that were intended to cater to younger demographics. Mm. And indeed, when they combined into the CW... They finally hit magic. they 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 figured out the right way to do that most of the time. But what I think is interesting is that the WB tended to gravitate towards young audiences by way of... Crass comedy. Well, crass comedy or teen soap opera or mm. teen melodrama or teen heroes. And I think the UPN just thought, you know what kids like? Action, adventure, and pulp. Mm. 
And indeed we do. But they never quite found the sweet spot. They never had an identity as a network. Yeah. Where it's just like, we go to UPN for Star Trek and... We don't really have anything because you cancel everything right yeah, they, away they, they, and you they just try, keep throwing in something else. They tried a whole swath because they tried some sitcoms. They tried some serious dramas. I think, you know, since Star Trek was their hit show, Star Trek at its core is really kind of a pulp idea. Sure. It's wagon train. It's an adventure show. It's, you know, brainy and complex, but... It's an adventure show. You can yeah. fold it into, like, you can put it right next to Legend and it wouldn't look so weird. No, it'd be fine. And, and I think if they had actually committed to Legend and made more shows like Legend... Maybe the network itself wouldn't have flagged and tanked as hard as it had. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still would have failed. <laughs> Nothing could have saved this thing. Even if every show was Star Trek Voyager, I think it still would have failed. But that was the identity. Legend is the identity they needed. Yeah. Legend could have saved it. Well, if it was 100 um, episodes long, what would you think they would have done? Uh, just more more pulp. Well, they would have traveled more and done more Western stories. Here's what I think, um, though. At some point, you're going to run out of the technology mm-hmm. where, like, you know, what are we going to do? Like, here's an episode where Bartok invents an electric toothbrush. Oh, how's this going to be useful mm-hmm. later? We've run out of stuff. At what point oh. do you think it gets weird sci-fi like when teleporters and time travel they would they would have started aliens i was about to say they're gonna have to introduce a space alien at some point which is kind of the shtick that briscoe county jr did yeah. they had they had time travelers in briscoe county jr mm-hmm. um so they couldn't have gone maybe quite that wild but they would have had to eventually i would have liked to have seen because the premise of the show is that pratt invented nicodemus legend and he has to impersonate nicodemus mm. legend what if a lot of authors had to do the same thing? Like, well, what if that, Jules Verne is like shows up in a submarine at one point, and he was just like, <laughs> well, I, "It's my brand." <laughs> I think they could have done that in one episode where there was like a rival hero, and it turns out he's just as much of a cat as Pratt is. And yeah, they, they have to sort of they bond over their mutual hidden true natures, or maybe there was a sort of a reverse thing where some really clean cut fellow was really uncomfortable with playing a Lothario character that he had invented. Oh, that'd be kind of fun. Oh, yeah, like sort, of, sort of That's a fun. flip of that. Oh, yeah, like Bartok even just has to play that once. There you go. Bartok, kind of Bartok has to be like a hard-drinking womanizer, and he's not comfortable with it, but he has I, to convince a bad guy. I'd like to see reason. an episode where after Nicodemus Legend has, mm. like, because there's an episode where, like, Nicodemus Legend, like, goes to Texas and Bartok isn't there for most of it. Mm. Like, I would like to see one where Bartok has to pretend to be Nicodemus Legend while Nicodemus Legend is gone and actually well, live that role and, in a more extroverted way mm. than he's comfortable and you know what else would have saved the show is an outsider maybe a spy maybe a cop and please a female yeah it needs more women (laughs) on the show it's all men on this show and it just all the women who showed up were either uh the one with the problem uh a damsel or the hot mom that he's trying to seduce Mm -hmm. or a villain or a villainess and and it would have been great if we can have bartok and ramos and then we can have legend and a, like a female cop or spy, I would have liked to, to, to play off of him, played by Denise Crosby. I, well, <laughs> Denise Crosby or Claudia Black. Or Claudia and Black. I would have liked to have seen or like, Claudia Christensen. Well, when you think about it, there are characters on the show who really you could replace. Like mm. you could just have a woman be elected the mayor of the town. There there's go. a reason for her to be in every episode, or the sheriff would be kind of fun. Mm. You know, like there's every justification to include that kind of character in every episode. Mm. And yeah, you're right. It's absurd that there isn't more of a regular female presence on the show, especially considering how fast and loose they're playing with history anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so why not just have a, a female CIA agent? 
something w- working with with Richard Dean Anderson, or yeah, yeah or or, you, or maybe, she's his new agent, or something. yeah, like a new like agent anything. comes in and she's like really really shy, like really gun shy, and doesn't want to get into the action, but she or she's super fucking eager. Of, or, Let her yeah. enjoy it. Like why not? Like there's so many different ways you can play it, and it is it yeah. is frustrating. You're there, there, right. Yeah, the, the, it would have been great if we had a regular female character. That would have also pushed the show up a little bit more. Introduce her in the first episode of season two. Yep, the show takes off. That's often what would happen. Mm. Like a lot of shows, like used to get better as they went on and as they like added <laughs> new elements and now it's like if you don't get it right from episode one people say you suck and then you get cancelled well what happens is they come out with like one awesome pilot mm-hmm. it's like this is a two hour episode and it's great and then, every, and then they tune into episode two and the ratings fall off by like 98% and mm-hmm. nobody cares anymore and, and, and yeah by episode three you lost your audience and the show's off well I suspect people know the answer to, our answers to this mm-hmm. already but was legend cancelled too soon mm-hmm. Oh golly, yes! Definitely. I I, I want to see more Legend. I, I I would love to see a cinematic reboot of Legend. I think that would work. I think mm. you could make Legend today as a TV series. You, you need no, to no, like no. you need to truss it up a bit. You need to like flesh out the supporting cast some more. But like, I'm not sure how how sort of light they could make it in today's marketplace. Everything's could, much more like interconnected and really intense drama. I think you could do it. I think you can look at like some of the uh, the tone of some of these sort of mid range. Mm. Kind of sci-fi fantasy shows that are on right now, like Lost Supernatural, in right. Lost in Space, maybe a little bit more like uh, serialized and intense. Because one thing I like about Legend that is it is episodic. Yeah, but I look at something again, something Supernatural's example, or something like Grimm, or something that one of those shows that just lasts forever and you forgot it was on, but it yeah. does have an audience. Supernatural's in its thirty-eighth season. Now. Thirty-eight it's, yeah. now, it's pretty impressive actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, just keeps on rolling. Yeah, like I think you could do it, and I think you could find a good tone with it, and yeah, it'd be really great. And I would love to see the continued adventures of Nicodemus Legend. And it would be the only way the UPN lives on. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Star Trek Voyager until Star Trek Voyager gets a cinematic reboot. Who do you cast as the new Janeway? Oh God, can you imagine <laughs> Brie Larson? I don't Jessica know Jessica Chastain. Sure, she'd be good. She would be good, actually. I'd like a, to see her. Things would be Jane. great. I'm not sure she'd be a good. She'd be a good Bolana Taurus. Yeah, well, yeah, she mm. would be a good Bolana Taurus, but mm. I think she'd be a good Janeway. I like to see okay. this Janeway. What the hell? <laughs> I tell you, it's only a matter of time before we get a cinematic reboot of Next Generation, and right. Jude Law will finally take his rightful place as Captain Captain Picard. Picard. <laughs> Or Brian Cranston doing a really bad British accent. No, he's too old now. <laughs> yeah, he's a little Brian old right Cran- now. Yeah. You want someone who's you want someone who's who's a bald little, but not a little old. more alive. Yeah. 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 Donald Glover Glover would play Jordy LaForge. Jesse Eisenberg yes. would play Data. Um Yes. You've done this before though. You bet you I came have. Up with yeah. <laughs> Good times. Uh, Tessa Thompson could play Deanna Troy. I wanted to come up with like a reboot of the Next Generation, but in the Kelvin verse, like the the yeah, J.J. Yeah. Abrams verse. We're like, okay, so in the past, all this different stuff happened, and how, by the time how we does get, that echo down yeah, to eighty-seven like, years in the future, yeah, yeah, eighty-seven years in the future, it's a long time in Star Trek land, and a lot of things are really, really different. And like, you know, there's a couple of things are a little different. Like Wesley was never born, or uh, <laughs> you know, like. Worf is in a slightly different you know place in his life or something mm-hmm. like that. But one of the things I would wanted to do was I would set this up as a twist was like somewhere like mid season or something like that. The twist mm-hmm. would be that the data on the Enterprise was actually lore. 
<laughs> and he was actually like, a, like, like lore a, had infiltrated. Like lore was a spy like the whole time, and Data's still out there somewhere waiting to be discovered. And, and they find this evil twin. Oh no, it's who are you? What is this evil twin of Data? No, I'm Data. That other guy's a traitor. What? Oh Twist. My God. That's a good plot point, and you know that's a good plot point. That, that would be plot. cool. And J.J. Abrams would like play the crap out of that oh sort of God. thing. He'd play it like a piano. It'd be great, and it would be insufferable, but good in, in that J.J. Abrams sort of way. It would still be pretty good. <laughs> Uh, legend. So, hey, listen, uh, Cody, thank you so much for sending us Legend, man. That was mm. that was a good one. That was, it really, it's aged yeah, pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and it's available on a lot of the shows that we review on this program mm. are available from a DVD releasing company called Mill Creek Entertainment. They release a lot of Cancel Too Soon shows. Many of them are bad. Uh, yeah, but bless but, them, they are they, putting they, them out on DVD. They're archiving all of these so things. I, I, we almost never give a shout-out to like DVD distributors, because usually it's like, oh, it's from CBS or yeah, Warner who, Brothers, who and yeah, they don't it's... need the extra boost, but... Credit to Mill Creek. No one talks about them, <laughs> and they don't put out like sets with a lot of special features or anything like that, but damn it, if you want to see Future Cop, they got Future Cop. Good for them. Good for them. All right, uh, do we have any emails? Uh, we do, although my phone is kind of hiccuping for a moment. So okay, it's, it's well, moment. if you want to email us, our email is canceledtosoon at mm-hmm. gmail.com. And while Whitney is looking for emails, I will mm-hmm. also entice you all uh, to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash canceledtosoon, where we have a ton of great perks, uh, including the ability to vote for future episodes of the show. We have one uh, audience-curated episode of the show every single month, including next week, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll announce in a minute. We have bonus episodes of the show. We have uh, the ability to assign both Whitney and myself articles that we will publish for you on Mm -hmm. criticallyacclaimed.net. I just watched an entire season of TV in the midst of watching entire seasons of TV. That's right. One of your assignments (laughs) was to finally watch the first season of Hannibal, Mm -hmm. which you did. Mm -hmm. And your observations were funny and mostly accurate, I think. (laughs) I think some of the things you brought up were were admittedly, from your perspective, kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree with some of you. Some of your comments about uh, sort of the interpretation of the material. You were a bit mm. critical in places where I thought it was pretty great, oh, but still, I think it's a valid, valid take, especially okay. having only seen one season. So, yeah, well, and, um, and and it's always interesting to watch a TV show that's been assigned rather than one you're seeking out for enthusiasm. Yeah. It, because, d- dear listeners, if you're watching a TV show, you're probably watching it because you're interested. Yeah. We're interested in things that fail, so our, just our view is a little bit skewed. It's true. But it's rare that I watch an entire season of TV because someone tells me to. Mm. And uh, as such... I, I'm ha- I have a little bit more of an objective eye, I think. Well, also you didn't you didn't quite fall in love with Hannibal the way a lot of people did. I no. love Hannibal. I think Hannibal's a great show, mm-hmm. but you were amused and interested. But it sounds like you didn't just fall under its spell, and so I think that left no. you the freedom to make some observations that maybe other people wouldn't, or at least not from that particular yeah. uh, uh, light. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, that's available right now on criticallyclaimed.net, along with a whole bunch of other articles uh, yeah. and links as well. Uh, read a letter for us. Here's a letter from Melissa. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Uh, hi, guys. I did see Hey, Vern, It's Ernest as a child in the Ooh. 1980s, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think I must have liked some madball, oddball, manic oddball comedy because I was also a fan of Pee-wee's Playhouse, Beekman's World, mm. uh, The Ren and Stimpy Show, and other offbeat stuff. I like the first-person POV style of Ernest's show and the weirdness of it, 
but Ernest was a sweet and likable character, and even if I think Jim Varney did mug way too much with way too many close-ups. I did watch other typical kids' stuff. The other shows you mentioned, I did like Muppet Babies and also Garfield and Friends, but I still liked the wacky public access-style variety show like Ernest, Pee Wee, and Beekman. I really enjoy your show a lot. You guys do a lot of great work in uncovering old TV shows and doing deep dives into work that uh, of what worked and what didn't. Thank you so much for creating your podcast and keep up with the great work, Melissa. Yeah, um... I think if I had seen Hey Vern, It's Ernest when I was the right age, when I was like nine or ten, I might yeah. have enjoyed it. Yeah, and, it's, and I would it have gone and I would have gone back in college and just been really embarrassed. Look, it's okay for kids to like mm. shows that are aimed at kids and for adults not to like those shows, but acknowledge that they're fine for kids. Mm. There's nothing in Hey Vern, It's Ernest that's wrong for kids or bad mm. for kids at all. I think, yeah. like at worst, maybe the clown bit might creep you out a bit, mm. but like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but it's okay that it doesn't appeal to me as like someone in my late 30s. It's <laughs> cool if it does, and a lot of the better kid shows do have appeal to people who aren't children anymore. Mm. But yeah, a lot of the shows I watched as a kid probably don't hold up really well. I do have a special appreciation for the live action kids show host. <laughs> like that's a tough like, gig. You have to like, have like Beekman. Yeah, you have to have a manic, you know, pay attention to me energy. But you also have to be genuine enough that the kids actually care about mm. you. And that the best kids show hosts, Mark Summers. That. Mark, <laughs> well, he was more of a game show host, but well, yeah, sure. Like yeah. Mark Summers was 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 good at it. Someone I thought was really good at it, even though it wasn't strictly a kids show, but it had that vibe. Was Joel Hodgson? Oh, there you go. On Mystery Science Theater three thousand, that mm. show is very much set up. Like a kid show, especially all the interstitial stuff with the robots and the mm. single camera takes and playing around with props and teaching you how movies this, this, this work. Is, this and is Kukla Friend and Ollie is what it is. He's, yeah. he's clearly drawing inspiration from the stuff he watched as a kid. And he's talking directly to the camera and he's making a connection. And like and that he's, was, and he's really gentle. Even more than Pee Wee's Playhouse, that was like my Pee Wee's Playhouse when I was mm. a kid. I mean, it was a little older when it came out, but... Still, that was the connection I had yeah. to Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm. so I have a deep <laughs> connection to that. Okay, uh, here's one from Alexandra. Hello, Alexandra. Hi to the second best team in the Schmodown. Don't worry, Above the Line is the best. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> above the Line is no more, so we're number one! We're, no, uh, we're number one. Woo! In, in your eye, thank you. Um... Bittersweet, I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm going to describe myself a bit just so you don't think I come from privilege when I ask my question. Mm. I'm short, brown, a woman from a third world country living as an immigrant in a very white European country. I promise I know what racism feels like. Mm. I was reading this article the other day about how new generations that just discovered friends think it's homophobic and not enough people of color in it. I haven't heard the same said about Seinfeld, although it could easily be said. I don't agree with this article. Uh, one, even though Friends did play sometimes to the gay panic of the era and made some jokes about the lesbian wife, it was first according to the era's sensibility. And secondly, the lesbian couple was always accepted. No one was against the wedding and her parents who didn't go were the jerks. Mm. My point being, is it fair that we judge everything with our current social morals? And does it take away from your entertainment of shows you grew up with? And this is most of the other podcast, but how much but how much Danny Glover how much does Danny Glover appear in Sorry to Bother You? If it's a lot, I'll take a pass in the movie. I can explain that in another email. Oh, is Danny Glover in that movie a lot? Um he instigates the action. He's okay. in a lot uh, the introductory scenes, but he's not a main character. He okay. he shows up in a couple scenes. So there he's you go. He's a supporting character. Um as to the question, I and I saw a, a bit of that article where people were talking mm. about how friends had just become available, I think, in Europe on Netflix and a lot of younger generations were sort of binging it for the first time and they realized that a lot of the humor mm. and a lot of the social uh, mores that were depicted in it were dated 
yeah. and maybe negative. I've seen all, uh, other articles about this with young people experiencing older James Bond movies for the first time, and they realize oh God, how, just how, how bloody sexist those how things sexist are, yeah. and racist those things could be. Um, and it does raise the question of how much do we need to look at films through a historical lens? Mm. That's part of it. And how much is it okay to bring our current ideas about Mm. what is uh, moral or socially acceptable? Um, And I think it's a complicated topic, but I think they both are important. I think it, I, I, yeah, por que no los dos. Um, I think it's important to, to judge something with your modern eye because that you can't help but do that. That's mm. your, where your eye is. It's in the present. But at the same time, you can feel uncomfortable with a show, a uh, show or a movie's, uh, dated views. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are some old old shows and old movies that are terrifically racist and weren't seen as such at the time. You know, like Judy Garland wore blackface in one of her films. It's just awful, awful. And it's, those are images that are really hard to get around. Yeah. Uh, Fred Astaire, however, did his Bojangles number uh, and he wore blackface for that. And some film historians say it's important to watch that because it is one of the best pieces of dancing in cinema history. Uh, so there are reasons to watch it, but you also have to come at it from kind of an intellectual perspective. You have to say, this was just what a, the, the casual racism of the time. And you have to understand that before you can appreciate the artistry of it. At the same time, there's some things that their artistry can't be appreciated because it's too racist or the or attitudes because the are artist- too backwards or because the artistry isn't good enough or, to or, even or, justify or the artistry isn't like, even there you can yeah. look at the works of here's a, a classic example of mm. the works of H.P. Lovecraft a, a brilliant writer mm. uh, who wrote <laughs> works of, of, of cosmic and unbelievable and mm. uh, really influential horror and there's a lot of racism in his work mm. There he, is. He he was unapologetically and openly racist. Yeah, so you can learn a lot from reading his work, but you mm. will also have to say to yourself, then this part is fucking gross and I can't mm. ignore that, but I'm not going to adapt that into my own style. Oh. It's, I, like, it's like philosophy professors who like read through Nietzsche. It's like, and here's the philosophy of Nietzsche, and it's all really complex. He's talking about will to power and the way the human mind is you know, really constructed. Just ignore everything he says about women because he, he was... Well, even worse than Freud's like and but women can't do this women don't have the right kind of minds like, I think this screw is my you, point. buddy I think this is my point I don't think you can ignore it yeah. I think you have to be conscious of what works and doesn't work within a narrative and mm. I think when you explore older works of art that don't age well by contemporary mm. uh, social political just humanist standards um you're you're going to run into that problem and you may decide for yourself okay there's a couple of jokes that go over like a lead balloon but otherwise this movie is really good and I I feel comfortable liking it mm. um and it is okay I think it's okay to say it's not funny anymore mm. or it's so gross by contemporary standards that it's no longer plays well like yeah, it, like, like it, it's only an object at some point and yeah, you we, can you can still view it but you can't appreciate the jokes or the humor or the story in the same way i think here's my point unless mm-hmm. you have like if you have a really deep personal connection to something and everyone does to some things like and then you can have that conversation with yourself mm-hmm. it gets really complicated but for most stuff i think what it boils down to is we're seeing New generations come up experiencing a lot of the art that we grew up with or understood, and 
they're not looking at it through the lens of any nostalgia whatsoever. Mm. When a lot of people in our generation look back at Friends, we grew up watching Friends. It was on TV all the time. Well, you guys did. Well, a lot of people did. Is my point. Like a lot, it was like one of the biggest shows on TV. So a lot of people grew up watching it, Mm. and it just it's sort of in there. And we can take the positive and we can throw out the negative. But if you have no personal connection to it, it's you might have even a more frank and objective perspective, and you might be able to say. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, maybe this isn't a classic. And I think that's the thing that's really hard for people to digest, is the idea that just because something was once considered great doesn't mean it will always be considered great. And that's something that is just natural to art. Not every book lasts mm-hmm. and hits and is more effective for future generations as it was when it first came mm-hmm. out, even if it was great when it first came out. In the case of Friends, however... Um, the lack of diversity was addressed even at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it sort of hit as this sort of nice, light, fun. It, it takes place in New York City, right? Yeah. And for, there's some good writing in it. It's, so, it's not so, bad. Some people you know, noticed right away how is it these people can afford these gigantic loft apartments? Okay, that's a. It's a conceit uh, of it's the a cons- genre. It's a conceit. Yeah, I've, I see that in movies and TV shows all the time. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief that there were so few black people in New York. Mm-hmm. People noticed that immediately. It was a criticism at the time. That's not a case of changing social mores or a new generation seeing it in a different way. But it was a criticism Mm. that they didn't really feel the need to address in a meaningful way at the time. Mm. It was oh, it's a criticism. We can take that. Uh, well, and we'll mostly go about our business. A, a lot of people hated the show for that reason. Oh, yeah. I, I remember a joke on whose line is it anyway about this, where there there were like quest. It was scenes from a hat. Questions you don't ask about television. Mm-hmm. And Wayne Brady stepped out and said, "How come none of the friends look like me?" This was when Friends was on the air. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of the later seasons. But yeah, this was something that was going on at the time. Sure. And uh, then of course Colin Mockery went, stepped out and said, "How come none of the friends look like me?" And everyone said, "Well, we know the answer to that." one yeah <laughs> but uh but listen it's a valid question and i think it's going to be the sort of thing that <sighs> mm. pop culture moves faster than a lot of other culture but at the same time a lot of the pop culture is still readily available yeah previous generations you know up until like the the last quarter of the 20th century for most of their art it didn't linger like the way it does now. It wasn't constantly available at a blockbuster video yeah. or on TV or on demand or on YouTube. Um, it was in theaters or it wasn't. And it might have shown on TV once a year. And that was it. And as a result, you know... Only you, certain things got a hold and things mm-hmm. were sharper in, in the pop culture yeah. consciousness. And things and the thing is, and the other thing I want to bring up, and I think this is important, that when we look back on certain movies, TV shows, books, comics, whatever, and we say to ourselves as generations and years go by, oh, this really doesn't seem relevant in today's society with where we are right now. Mm. Um, it doesn't have the same impact that it once did, or it has a negative impact, or it once had a positive impact. The converse can also be true, and we can look back at something that seemed like it wasn't great, and now we can say, oh, wait, this is amazing. Mm. And that has happened before. Case in point, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, there you go. It was a movie that came out, it was nominated for a couple of Oscars, but it wasn't a hit, and it was quickly forgotten. Until the late 70s, when they did a TV remake starring Marlo Thomas from That Girl... And that was reasonably popular, and it made people more interested in seeing the original. And then they started showing that all the time, and only then, did like it become 30 the standard, years later, yeah. did people say, oh, wait, hmm. 
this is great. And it really addresses a lot of the darkness inherent to family drama and the holidays and the spurned American dream and the struggle between idealism and pure capitalism. And wow, this movie was totally wonderful and we did not appreciate it at the time. Hmm. We're going to do that. You're, We're going to do that over and over again. And and even that cycles back around. You wrote a, a pretty terrific article recently, I think for IGN, mm. about uh, films that have for many years been called over or underrated, and now they're rated fine. Yeah, like, I, I think <laughs> when, when the thing you hear about most about a movie is that it's underrated, it's not underrated anymore. Yeah. People just like it. It's like, like Halloween 3. Mm. People are just sort of just like, Halloween 3, it wasn't as bad as we all said it was. Well, now that we all agree, it's not underrated. Now, it's, just, it's, it's just a pretty good now, movie. Now it's a cult hit, and that's fine. Yeah. It's same with Speed Racer. Yeah. Speed Racer is accepted now. Yeah, Starship Troopers is accepted yeah, now. We I'm, know it's good. I'm waiting for Jupiter Ascending. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And I'm going to have to wait a long time for Valerian, but those are going to come around. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for Premium Rush as well. Premium Rush. Uh, and White House Down. Those things, yeah. These things are going to come back. Mm-hmm. They're, they're currently underrated. We're waiting for, the, for them to be I've started rated. to see some articles about Jupiter Ascending. Starting just uh, now. Just a few. Like okay. recently in the last couple of months, I've seen a few articles mm-hmm. about how Jupiter Ascending was underappreciated and had some really interesting stuff that people did not address at the time. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> we're, we're getting that. Um, Again, we're a decade away from Valerian, but maybe in 50 years it'll break even. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, golly, that thing crashed hard. Crashed so bad. Why? Um, Why did you miss Valerian? It was so good. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Cancel Too Soon. Uh, We'll be back next week with the winner of our latest uh, audience poll. That's over at patreon.com slash cancel too soon. If you want to vote, cancel with one L, never forget. Um, The next episode is a 1980s time travel, basically American knockoff of Doctor Who Uh called Voyagers. Exclamation point. Yeah, it has exclamation points. You have to say Voyagers. You can't just say Voyagers. (laughs) It's Voyagers. Um, I'm really excited to talk about it. It's a long series, so we're going to do our best to have the episode be on time. But mm. like, it's a really it was a long season of television, yeah. so we're going to do our best. Um, that's going on right now. Don't forget, you can also check us out on our other podcast, Critically Acclaimed, where we review uh, new movies and do a double feature every week of a notoriously bad movie and a classic movie that pairs up with it in an interesting way. Um, you can also read our work on criticallyacclaimed.net, which also has links to all of our work at places like IGN and The Wrap and Collider and the movie Trivia Schmodown. Um, you can find us on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>